The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Lord our God, this morning we celebrate the, the grand reversal of things. Oh God, we, we celebrate your resurrection, Lord Jesus, over death, your victory over sin, and all of it for for us, Lord, for sinners like us. And we are recipients of such amazing grace. And uh, we respond with, with thankfulness, God. We, th- we respond with gratitude. And uh, may our, our lives respond with worship and obedience. And uh, Lord, today as we bring ourselves before your throne and, and pray, we acknowledge that uh, we're caught up in so many things at so many levels. And so right now, Lord, in the quietness of our own hearts and minds, we, we lift up to you the pain or the, the struggles of the week. We lift up to you, Father, the things that um, are so, so much smaller in light of eternity and of your infinite grace, and yet they hassle us, they bring us down. And so, God, we, we lift up to you our brokenness, and we ask you to meet us in that today. Speak, O Holy Spirit of God, speak your word into the very heart of that place where we need to be hearing from you. And um, help us, O God, today to be conscious of your living presence, Christ. Thank you for your word. Open up it to us now and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I read a book by the uh, a Sri Lankan author by the name of Ajit Fernando. It was called The Supremacy of Christ. And he tells a story in that book about a Muslim man in Africa who was converted to Christ, to Christianity. And afterwards, his Muslim friends approached him and asked him why he had turned to Jesus Christ. The man's response was like something like this. He said, well, suppose you were walking down a road and suddenly the road forked into two directions and you don't know which one you're going to take. But at the fork in the road, there, is, there are two men, one who is alive and one who is dead. Who are you going to ask directions from? <laughs> it may sound like a rather uh, silly little story, um, but it really is the absolute critical truth that separates Christ and his followers from all other life paths, philosophies, or religions that would claim to somehow address afterlife, address sin, address humanity, address divine things and God. It is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that is at the center of everything that we believe and follow. And this morning I'm going to be referring to a scripture in our Bibles that talk about a couple of men that were on a road that asked directions. And they received directions the day of the resurrection from the very risen Christ himself. So if you would have a a Bible with you or turn in the pew Bible or on your device, uh, turn to Luke chapter 24, would you? Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read some verses there. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And if you're able to stand with me to hear the word of God, please do so now. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to eat it to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he appeared, disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. May God bless his word to us today. You may be seated. I hope you notice in this scripture the radical transformation that takes place between what occurs in verse 17 where two men are walking with their faces downcast and what occurs in verse 32 where their hearts are burning within them. There's something that has to account for those two bookmarks in this story that, that changed the whole countenance and action of these two men. They started in, on the way away from Jerusalem, going to another town or village, and this encounter with the living Christ caused them to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. 
I wonder if this story isn't somewhat of a commentary on many people today. Many people today who were once maybe professed self uh, Christ followers have turned their backs on the church, turned their backs on religion, turned their backs on this, this Christ that they've believed in. And they're walking away from it. And, and what is needed is what is exactly what these two needed. Is they had to have a personal encounter with the living Christ. The same message that, that Jesus gave to these men are the, is the message that many people today need to hear. It's kind of the message of saying, wait, don't be so hasty in your judgment. The story has not been fully told. You're judging it before its appointed time. That's the same message these men needed to hear, and it's the same message that many people today need to understand. Need to understand. They walk away in disillusionment from their faith, but they really don't understand the full picture of what is going on. They needed an encounter with the risen Christ. In a nutshell, I would like to suggest to you that the key word in this whole chapter is the word open. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that there's various things that had to be opened in order for these people to have a radically altered view of life and their purpose in living and their faith. We, we see in chapter 24 of Luke that the chapter begins and there is an open tomb that had been closed. And that is critical to what we're going to be talking about today. We see the chapter end many verses later at the end of the chapter, and there is the heavens that are opened, and Jesus Christ himself is received up into heaven as the disciples stand on the hillside and watch it happen. And between those two events, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, there's a whole bunch of other things that are opened. And today I want to show you that these are things that we also need to have Jesus Christ open in our lives. First of all, we see that Jesus opened the scriptures to these two. He opened their minds so they could understand, and he opened their spiritual eyes so that they could see. Let's take a look at this. I hope that you know that in your own experience, you need a road to Emmaus experience. I don't believe any believer in Jesus Christ is to be omitted in this kind of an experience. Every one of us has to have this kind of experience to claim genuine faith. I can remember a time as a teenager when I had this experience, when I cannot explain it in any terms. Nothing I did was different than days or weeks before, but I can remember when Jesus Christ opened the Scriptures to me. I was 16 years of age. And I cannot explain why it was that instead of getting off the bus and arriving at home and going to the one room to watch TV, I went to the other room and I opened my Bible. I can't explain why that happened. But at the same time, I can, I can tell you that as I did that, Jesus Christ opened my mind in a way that it had never been opened before. I had grown up in a Christian home. The Bible was read. I had grown up in a church that preached the Bible. And yet I could say at that time, at the age of 16, that really I had not had the Scriptures open to me, though many preachers had preached to me. And I had not had my mind opened. And my spiritual eyesight had not yet been opened until that season of my life at the age of 16. I had already been baptized four years earlier or so. 
And I, I had such an experience at the age of 16, I felt I wanted to be rebaptized. I didn't get rebaptized. I don't think it was needed. Just like these two that were walking on this road were already followers of Christ. But friends, they, they, I don't know what would have become of them if they had not had an encounter with the risen Christ. I do not know what would have become of my faith at the age of 12 if I had not had what Christ did to me and in me at the age of 16. I can tell you, though, that at that time there were four signs of a genuine spiritual experience with Christ. And I would, I would pray and covet and long for every one of us to have these experiences. Number one, as I said to you, the scripture that was closed somehow to me became alive. And, and my heart began to burn within me when I began to study and read the scriptures. I'd never had that before. It was just another dry book, dry oats. It was, it was just another place that was turned to in Sunday school or youth group or church, but it, it was not burning in my heart. And then at the same time, I began to feel incredible conviction over my sin. Things that I had been or done in the past had never bothered me. All of a sudden, at this season of my life, it was like God was tearing me apart from the inside out. And I began to confess sin that I didn't realize I even was guilty of because Jesus was working. At the same time, I began to, to look around me and in my family and in my friendships, I saw, I saw people lost. I began to see people in two categories, those that, that really knew Jesus and those that were, were, were lost on a sea of self-orientation. And I began to have a burden for my friends that were lost. And then fourthly, I began to be willing to associate with Christians. That was a tough one for me at that stage of my life. They were all the geeks that met in room 201 at 3.30. But it didn't matter anymore. You see, I think those are our spiritual affections that God puts on your heart. You can't fake that stuff. And the worst thing that could ever happen to any of us today is that we grow up and we experience a religious form that has been absolutely hollowed out from all spiritual substance. And we go through the motions, but we're really dead. I had to have that experience at age 16 and I've had many experiences since then, and I continue to walk with a living Christ. And I can confess today there are days when I do live, and it wouldn't have mattered if I was worshiping on that day a dead deity or a living Christ. I confess that. I don't know if you have days like that, when it wouldn't matter whether Jesus really was alive or not to you. But most of my days are being lived because I know that I serve a risen, living Christ. You know, there was a, it's been in the news lately, and I, I, I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it. A United Church minister who is a self-declared atheist and is, is going to courts with the United Church of Canada because she feels that she has the right to be called a minister among them, though she does not believe in God. Now, I don't know what private faith looks like when you don't have any concept of God. 
I don't know what that looks like. I do not know what this morning would have been looking like in corporate worship if we did not believe in a living God. I just have no concept of that. I have no idea how it is in the United Church that a minister or a church could belong to an organization that claims to be Christian. I know from the North American Baptist Conference perspective that, that we as an individual church, White Ridge Baptist Church, only belong to the bigger body of North American Baptist Conference because through our doctrinal statement and our beliefs and our practices, we belong to an association of churches that are, are faithful in certain things that we've agreed upon are necessary to be called Christ followers. If we didn't believe that, we'd not be part of the association, and then the association would not be part of the conference, and we would just be a floating bubble. What does the church become when we don't have a living God? It becomes a, a secular, humanistic group that, that might have very noble goals of community building and justice on earth. I, I affirm those goals. But when we take God out of the equation, we are, we are going to accomplish nothing that will consequent or result in eternal gain. Let's take a look at the scriptures that we're looking at today in Luke 24. And before we get into the subjective experience of these two men, I want to take a, a look at the objectivity of this passage. And the and the fact that the whole event is prefaced by the resurrection, the historical, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We believe in the historical truth of the death of Christ. Without this, any kind of subjective experience that you and I might have, any kind of spirituality we might have, any kind of visions or dreams or, or whatever you might want to say is a spiritual experience. It is not of genuine nature in terms of God, the divine one, God. You might have, might have experienced, but it's not going to be a kind of God, biblical, Christian, divine, spiritual experience. There are other spirits around, but it's not going to be the Holy Spirit that drives that. And none of it matters if it's not founded on the historical reality of an empty tomb. You know, I, the best way I could explain this is to draw your attention to the cross that's on the stage. And on this cross... There are, like in any cross, two pieces of wood. There is a vertical and a horizontal piece of wood. And the vertical piece of wood stands for the historical truth of the, of the message of Jesus Christ. It is grounded in the substance of a real Jesus Christ, God, an eternal God, who became a man, who lived a life, who died on the cross, the wrath of God poured out on him and was then raised from the dead to, to, to live forevermore and to usher in our lives into that kingdom where he reigns as Lord. That is the historical substance of our faith. And you'll notice that the other horiz or the, the horizontal member is, is hanging on the vertical member. It's not the other way around. Your subjective experience of Jesus Christ of the gospel, hangs on the historicity of a real Christ that really died, really rose from the dead. If that's not true, your, your experience of Christ is floating around in some mid-air point, and it means nothing. 
It might be an act of your own imagination. And so I begin by saying that the first thing we need to know that was opened was there was an empty tomb. A tomb was opened. And the tomb was opened not so that Jesus could get out. The tomb was opened so that witnesses could go in. Come and see. Go and tell. That's the message of Easter. And next, secondly, I want to share with you that the Scriptures were opened that day. From Scriptures that were closed to, to scriptures that were open. In verse 15, it says in this scripture that these two men were talking and discussing. The two words have to do with this idea of communing or sharing, and then this deep debate. It's, it's like a, a, the word could mean investigating together. So they were not in this casual conversation. They were in deep conversation about the things that had just taken place. And as they're confused about matters, Jesus comes and walks beside them and begins to ask them questions. What a Bible study that would have been with the living word explaining the written word to these two believers. And for two to three hours, Jesus walks and he explains from Moses and all through the prophets how these things had to be fulfilled. The verse 27, the, the Greek text uses the word, he explained to them the scriptures. And the word there is a, an English word for expound. He expounded on the scriptures. He, that's what expository preaching does. You see, what, does it, what is the goal? What was Jesus doing? He was getting all the stuff that was in the way out of the way. He was decluttering the scripture. He was exposing what's really there. He was not imposing anything on it. He was exposing what was there. That's the goal of expository preaching is get to it, get out of the way, get the clutter out of the way, just expose what God's Word says. That'll do it. That's what Jesus was doing from Moses and through the prophets. He was exposing what was going on. As Doug mentioned earlier, next uh, Sunday we'll begin a series on the Gospel of John and myself and, and many others are going to be expounding and explaining and expositing the Scriptures. And our goal is to somehow just expose what's there and get out of the way. Now, you can't get out of the way fully. Because, you see, whenever the Word of God comes, it always comes incarnate. It always comes through a messenger. But the messenger must not get in the way of the message. The messenger must only accompany the message so that it exposes more of the reality of it. And so we see in the Scriptures that Jesus opened and he explained the scriptures. And it says in verse 32 that as they reflected on that Bible study, it says they, did our hearts not burn within us? Have you had that experience? You're reading, you're studying the scriptures, and you're all alone, you and God, and God somehow just begins to turn the light on, starts to warm the cold heart, and you realize this is... This is so much more deep than the crap I'm watching on TV. This is, this is substance. This is the stuff that is absolutely life-altering. This is what I live for. This is spiritual food. Have you had that experience? That's, that's that burning heart sense. That's what God wants for every one of His children. You know, the difference between a good sermon and a great sermon is that at the end of a good sermon, people say, that was a good sermon. And at the end of a great sermon, people say, that, what a great Christ we worship. You see, we got to get out of the way 
and let, let, let the scripture speak. And then when it's being explained and the hearts start to burn, then you know, oh God, the spirit is present to do his work, to open up the scriptures. I'll, I'll take your questions after and we can address them next week, Eliona. Thank you. Yeah, we could just go too long otherwise. Okay, sister? Let's go on to the next point. From eyes that are closed to eyes that are opened. And uh, in verse 16, it says there's something that held them from recognizing him. And, and that word held is, a, is like a, a grip. It's like it held them back from recognizing Jesus. What is it that holds people back from recognizing Jesus today? Is it pride? Is it so lost in worldly pursuits? The Bible says the devil also can, can blind the minds of unbelievers so they can't see Christ. And there's got to be a supernatural grace that is released to help people recognize Jesus. And the, the word that's used here in verse 31 and verse 32 and verse 45, it's the word opened. Jesus opened their eyes. He opened their minds. He opened the scriptures. You know, the word is used for other things. Jesus, in his ministry, he'd come upon a deaf man. He'd touch his ears, and his ears would be opened to hear. He'd see a, a blind man. He'd touch his eyes, and his eyes would be opened to see. These are th this is the way this word is used. And uh, it's only supernatural grace that opens hearts that are hard, ears that are dull, minds that do not want to believe. And the word that is used for recognize is the word that used for experiential knowledge, epigenosis. It means that they didn't just recognize Jesus. Oh, that's Jesus. It means that they had a personal experience with Jesus. And that's what we're asking for as well from God. Eyes that were blind to eyes that were open. We also see in the Scripture hearts that were closed to hearts that were burning and open to God. In verse 25, we see this. Did our hearts not burn within us? You know, it doesn't say that they were unbelieving. It says they were slow of heart to believe. I think there's a difference. I think I'm guilty sometimes of thinking about those who are not believers in my life that I'm praying for, and I think sometimes I have cast them off, and I've, I've labeled them unbeliever. But maybe I need to relabel them slow of heart to believe. Doesn't that make a difference? See, maybe, maybe you and I are the ones that are more guilty of being slow of heart to believe than they are. Someone said that the church is more to be condemned for not being revived than the unsaved world is for not being converted. Do you have faith to believe that God still opens eyes? He opens minds? He opens the scriptures? Do you have faith to believe that that person that you, you are praying for that's an unbeliever maybe is just slow of heart to believe? And they will come, one day they will come to bow the knee and acknowledge Christ for who He is. I believe that's what we're called to, to put our hope in God and to trust Him that He still does that. He still opens eyes, He still opens hearts. We cannot pick the fruit before it's ripe. And our hearts need to be burning in order for us to pass that on. We see also these scriptures that Minds that were closed and darkened to minds that were opened. Verse 27, verse 45. It, it doesn't 
stop on the road to Emmaus, as you'll notice in Luke 24. These two men turn around, they head back to Jerusalem, they walk into the room where the disciples are and they find them, and they have already witnessed as well the risen Christ. They've already had an experience. Peter and John have had that. And so, and so they're excited and they tell them. And it says in the scriptures that in verse 45 that while Jesus was with all of them together, he says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. Wow. There's many people today walking away from faith. Uh, statistics love to talk about that today in Canada. They talk about the generation that is being lost, the people that are walking away from the church and organized religion. We, we hear about it all the time. And friends, I believe that Jesus Christ still opens minds and hearts and eyes, spiritual eyes. I believe that Jesus Christ is still the one who is wooing a people to himself. There are people that are on their way away from Jerusalem right now, and they're going to turn around. There's people in your life right now that maybe you are already praying for. God's going to turn them around. They're going to turn around, and they're going to acknowledge the Son of God in their lives. You've stopped believing it, maybe. God wants to remind you this resurrection morning, He's still alive. He's still got a church. He's going to save people. He just wants to you to be patient. He wants you to know the story's not fully written yet. There's a second coming that he is getting his church ready for. And so it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. How do we respond to this text in Luke 24? How do we end our, our sermon this morning? I'd like to share a story with you as we conclude about something that occurred about 20 years after the resurrection. Now, it wasn't until 1945 when this was found out, it was in 1945 in an archaeological dig outside of the walls of Jerusalem when a Jewish professor named E.L. Sukunik discovered in the suburb of Jerusalem five sealed caskets. And when they opened the five caskets, they found the remains of five bodies and from the coins and the other artifacts that were in with the corpses inside the caskets, they discerned that it was from around 40 to 50 A.D. So between 10 and 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Incredible find that they talked about. And two of the five, two of the five caskets, there was an inscription attached to the corpse. The one said this, it said two words, Jesus help. And the other one, it said this, Jesus let him arise. It must have been loved ones that put that on the corpse as they, as they buried it. Jesus let him arise. 20 years after the resurrection of Christ from the dead, there were, there were still people in Jerusalem believing in the power of Christ's resurrection. And I wonder, perhaps, I'm just saying this is a perhaps. I wonder if one of those two that were on the road to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, and had turned around and went back and had an encounter with the risen Christ, I wonder if they settled in Jerusalem. And I wonder if some of these men in these caskets were witnessed to by these two men from the road to Emmaus. And they shared the Scriptures. They opened up the Scriptures to other friends in Jerusalem. 
and the Holy Spirit accompanied that encounter, and He opened up their minds. He opened up their spiritual eyes. He opened up their hearts, and they received Jesus. They came to believe that resurrection was possible. There is eternal life. Forgiveness from shame and guilt is possible. It's found only in what Christ paid for at the cross, and they were saved. And somebody just put a little note in there, Jesus, let him arise. And what it makes me think of is that I wonder who in our lives will die this coming year? Who in our lives will die this coming year? And because we are faithful to simply in a conversation open up the scriptures... Yeah, okay, the whole countercultural thing, the whole world is talking how stupid it is to believe in God and all that stuff. You know, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. No, you're, you're going to take a step in boldness. You're going to share the true truth of Christ. And as you do so, the Holy Spirit is going to accompany and He's going to open their minds and their hearts and their eyes. And they're going to die, maybe in the coming year, but they're going to die believing. And one day we'll see them in the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, our God, we, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, we confess that so often we, we're not capable of taking in the depths of the truth in your word, the reality of your resurrection, the finality of death, the eternality of life, and all the things that accompany it, Lord God, we can't take it in. It's too much for us. We need you, Holy Spirit of God, to open our spiritual eyes. We need you to open our minds. We need you to open our hearts so that we can be resurrection people, that we can point others to you, O oh Lord. So come, Holy Spirit of God, and help us in our feeble attempts to open the scriptures and to share with our loved ones, Lord, Help us, O oh God, to see your spirit make alive those that are dead in sin. Thank you so much for the truth of this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, as a church, take a moment. When's the last time our hearts warmed within us when we prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, Holy be your name. When's the last time that it get right to the core of our hearts, your kingdom come? When's the last time our hearts got thrilled with the thought, your kingdom, your will be done on earth, in my life? in my family's life, in our church's life, everywhere. Give us this day our daily bread. What awesomeness about it. And naturally what follows when I've been fed and caught with its awe is to ask him to forgive my sins knowing 
He wants to. Oh God, deliver me from my temptations. Save me from the power of the evil one. May your name, your glory, your power, and your kingdom come to all of us. Amen.